Welcome to Unga Decoded. I'm Michael Igo, senior reporter at DevEx. For the next couple weeks, my colleagues and I are going to bring you inside the biggest global development gathering of the year. Skip the travel, the traffic, and the security lines, and join us for candid conversations with people at the leading edge of global development, global health, and humanitarian assistance. This is Unga Decoded. I think it's an experiment because hopefully we continue to learn and get better and then yes I hope that that we learn a lot and it's effective and we're able to do it again. There's a strong sense of reunion in the air at the 77th United Nations General Assembly. This is the first time in three years that this unrivaled fixture on the global development calendar is back in person. And while the COVID-19 pandemic is not over, it has been kind of amazing to see the resilience of the little rituals, behaviors, and peculiarities that make up the UNGA experience. The street protests, the heads of state running late for their speaking engagements, the strange combination of really dire headlines with an almost celebratory atmosphere in some places. It has sometimes felt while rushing from side event to side event or trying to elbow up to a world leader to ask them a question, like we've all been transported back in time. And maybe nowhere was that more the case than at the Clinton Global Initiative's annual meeting, which sprung back into action this year after a full six-year hiatus, brought on not by COVID, but by concerns about politics, influence, and optics during Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential run. DevX editor-in-chief Raj Kumar sat down with Chelsea Clinton to ask why the Clintons decided to reboot CGI in 2022 and to hear what she's focused on as a prominent public health advocate. Here's their conversation. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Yeah. How does it feel to be back at CGI six years? We did this six years ago. Yes, it feels... um just like this is what we need to be doing because there's so much work to do. Was it a tough decision or like a no-brainer to bring back the Clinton Global Initiative? It, it, was, it was both, I would say. It was a no-brainer insofar as it felt like there was such a need to get people back together on purpose, focused on what problems we could solve together, and also challenging to think about, well, how do we ensure that that problem-solving ethos is maintained and also make adjustments to ensure that we are kind of more inclusive and more bold because we have just so many challenges and we really need to ensure that the communities most affected by those challenges are at the center of talking about them and trying to tackle them. You can definitely feel that vibe in the room that people are desperate to see each other, to get together to talk about issues, which is, I think, a sense that this was needed. Um, But thinking about your second point there about we need a new a new way of thinking about these problems, that there's so many overlapping issues. Take, that, take it a little further on that point. What, what do you mean, what do you think is required from this community of, of doers? I do think, you know, Raj, we, so we have you know, more than 2,300 people, and you know, it's our youngest and most diverse CGI ever. I think we also have tried very hard to ensure, and I think we have done this, that um, 
you know, people who are most affected by the challenges and also most primed to hopefully be part of articulating the opportunities are like front and center in every conversation. I think that's hugely important. I also think that in this phase of COVID we're in now, because we're not past COVID, despite what I know many people would like to believe, um, that we really have, have, and this is hugely important to me, you really have tried to kind of think boldly around what we need to do to help ensure that we are answering the challenges that COVID um, exacerbated and also kind of doing a better job of, of building kind of public health infrastructure kind of from here forward. Um, and I think that that wasn't, you know, necessarily an obvious kind of design choice for CGI because there are so many people who are like, oh, I just, I really, of course it's important, but I want to talk about climate change. Or like, of course it's important, but I want to talk about food security. And you're like, well, like climate change and food security also relate to whether or not we are increasing our pandemic risk or whether or not we're building real meaningful community resilience. Yeah. You know, I'm sure just about everybody here knows that your, your role with the foundation, but maybe not everyone knows your global health role and the work you do on things like the Global Fund Replenishment. Um, I understand you, you played a key behind the scenes role in some of the private sector funds and uh, that have been put together. Tell us a little bit about that, because that's this week, right? The Global Fund Replenishment. The Global Fund Replenishment, um, yes, set for Wednesday. And you know, the Global Fund uh, has been very clear since the launch of the replenishment in February, literally February 24th. So for people paying attention, that night was when Russia invaded Ukraine. So unfortunately, um, you know, I, I think you know, the re replenishment's bold kind of articulation of, of you know, really $18 billion helping to save 20 million more lives, you may not have, for understandable reasons, you may not have gotten the attention that it merited because there's a lot of kind of evidence and data from the global funds um, last you know, almost 20 years that really kind of went into that figure. Um, it wasn't kind of plucked from the sky. And while the United States has made a commitment of $6 billion, um, that commitment can only be realized if we also raise the other $12 billion because kind of the way the U.S. commitment to the Global Fund is, is structured, it, it can never be more than one-third of the Global Fund's kind of overall budget. And so you know, I would hope that people you know, understand both like to maximize, you know, the American contributions and also, you know, to really um, realize in, you know, in practice, you know, the promise of saving 20 million more lives. Like we do need the full tranche of funding. I'm very uh, encouraged that, you know, today Project Red, uh, sorry, Red, they've rebranded Red, announced yeah. their $150 million dollar commitment, which while I know very bold, like they would not have said, did they not have confidence that even if they stretch, you know, to new and hitherto for unexperienced extremes that they won't be able to secure those dollars. But we need others to really step forward too over the next couple of days. It's tough to get the private sector, I think, when they see governments and they say, well, the U.S. is doing six billion. What is my 10 million going to do? How do you think about that? And what are you doing to try to get some of the private sector players to participate? I think every dollar matters. Um, and I think, too, that you know, what has worked historically for the Global Fund and for some other private you know, public partnerships is really when you know, companies recognize that yes, you can make 
and this is actually how, how Red, when it was Project Red started, yes, you can make you know, commitments in totality, or you can make commitments to stop mother-to-child transmission, right? Or you can, you can make commitments to ensure that um, insecticide-treated bed nets for children are where your dollars will go towards in a purchasing power capacity. And I think that is important because, you know, I think private sector entities, you know, hopefully do have a broader sense of who their stakeholders are and also a real then understanding of how increasingly, you know, consumers, customers, partners, employees want to see their company stand for something and standing for like helping the world finally end malaria, I think is a pretty good thing to stand for, helping to in mother-to-child transmission everywhere, which we are so close to doing, is like a really great thing to stand for. It's just two small examples. Yeah, it is kind of a tough moment because we're actually backsliding on a lot I of know. these things, right? Um, and but I, you either can think, oh my gosh, that's so depressing, which is understandable, or you could think alongside, wow, that is depressing that we've allowed that to happen. We know what is possible because look at all the progress we did make when we had clear-eyed, relentless focus. WHO says the end of the COVID-19 pandemic is in sight. But with waves of infections still expected in the near future, how are health systems going to cope? What's going to happen to initiatives that were formed during the pandemic, like COVAX? And how is the world preparing for the next global health emergency? I'm Jenile Ravelo, Senior Global Health Reporter for DevEx. And every Thursday, we bring you answers to these questions and other exclusive news and insights on everything global health in our free weekly newsletter, DevEx Checkup. Visit devex.com newsletters to subscribe. Not everyone in our audience may know that you actually did your doctoral thesis on the Global Fund. I did, right? Raj, so I did. You, have, you too can read it online <laughs> at the Baldwin Library so if you'd like. You have been nerding out on global health architecture for a long time. I have. This so is I, true. I wonder what you think of the architecture. I mean, we've got so many new acronyms out there. Um, CEPI, relatively new, obviously Act A during the COVID crisis. But just in general, when you look at the architecture and you think about what you just described, some of the challenges we're facing, do you think we're sort of set up the way you would want us to be set up? Or do you have any thoughts about global health broadly? You know, Raj, I think that um, the answer to that question you know, is, is yes, if in some ways. I do think that Clearly, um, we have seen the real utility of kind of vertical focused funds in not only the Global Fund, you know, but in, in Gavi as well. And particularly for the Global Fund, admittedly, how often it was a Trojan horse to invest in building real health systems capacity. So I think that is important to recognize. Um, and also that we need kind of more um, investment in kind of building you know, robust and flexible healthcare capacity, both to meet the needs of people as they are today, whether you're pregnant or facing cancer or you have an injury, and also to help us all be better prepared for the inevitable kind of next next time. Um, which may not be that far off in the future. Which may right? not be that far off in the future. And, and I don't think that um, we have resourced or equipped WHO sufficiently to be able to have its real role fully realized as not only a kind of normative 
um, leader, but also through kind of technical assistance and partnership. And I don't think that um, the World Bank, uh, which actually contributes even more uh, dollars into global health concerns you know, than WHO does, um, is as yet able to move kind of quickly enough. And, and so I think that we have amazing people in more than I even know, many, many more than I even know, in, in, in many of these institutions who are so mission-oriented, and we have amazing people in health ministries around the world and in regional health organizations around the world, and yet we're, we are not yet appropriately kind of resourcing or kind of appropriately matching kind of urgency, I think, to need. I think so. I think a lot of the, the pieces are there, but we are not yet doing what we need to do to really try to help protect lives and livelihoods everywhere. Yeah, it felt like at the beginning of COVID, we saw that there is a new gear, right? Like we could work faster. Completely. But in general, it does feel like we're not at the pace of the challenges as they're yep. growing around the world. What, what are some of the things you're particularly excited about at this CGI? What are a few, just give people a flavor who yeah, aren't here. So I think, I think Raj, in some ways, it's a good segue from the last conversation and I'm particularly excited by the real focus on human resources for health, which is something that the Clinton Health Access Initiative has been focused on for a long time, that we've had a focus on at CGI in the past, but a real focus, and a focus on health resources, um, you know, human resources for health, excuse me, here you know, in the United States, even here locally in New York City, as well as globally, a focus on not only kind of training capacity, but the need to appropriately pay and protect healthcare workers, um, that that needs to happen at kind of every level of, of care. So from community healthcare workers and kind of, you know, people engaged in disease surveillance and kind of laboratory infrastructure um, as healthcare techs, you know, as nurses, as doctors, as healthcare leaders. And that I really think is so kind of desperately needed, not only because we have, uh, you know, health workforce shortage in the millions around the world, also because we know there's enormous healthcare workforce burnout and that we're not doing a good enough job really anywhere, including here, of taking care of the people that we expect to take care of us. Yeah. So that to me is really um, meaningful that there are so many people um, who are focused on these related challenges and trying to solve them. Yeah, that is, and there's so much focus on innovation and technology and health, but health workforce, you have to have a long-term plan. You gotta work toward it. It's not gonna happen overnight with a new whiz-bang technology. So it's important you're bringing that discussion here. Thank you for taking the time. Is this, a, is this the, an experiment bringing back CGI, or do you think like we're gonna be doing this I mean, I think both, year? right? I mean, I think it's an experiment, because hopefully we continue to learn and get better, and then yes, I hope that, that we learn a lot and it's effective and we're able to do it again. I hope to see you here next year. Thank you so much, Chelsea Clinton. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Unga Decoded. We'll be bringing you more interviews from the UN General Assembly throughout the next week. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do share it with friends, family, and colleagues. And you can also leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. If you've been to Unga and have some thoughts, or if you just want to share some feedback on this episode, We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at DevX and at Alter Igo.